0: good afternoon and welcome to your diy health radio here on the Spreaker radio network and simulcasting on free conference call i'm your host sergeant jim ram retired you can call me sarge it's wednesday december 20th 2023 and this program is meant to provide natural healing information only and is in no way meant to replace the advice of a competent medical professional assuming you can find one I search for and present to my listeners Natch modalities that simply assist and augment the body's ability to heal itself. And with that in mind, we invite you to visit our website, YourDIYHealth.com. That's Y-O-U-R-D-I-Y, like do-it-yourself, health, H-E-A-L-T-H, YourDIYHealth.com. There's all kinds of information there. All the products we talk about are there, including the terahertz frequency devices, which are featured prominently at the top of the home page. And you've got two choices there. The old standby, the iTeraCare products, which have been giving people great results for the last year and a half and then some. And the new kid on the block, the Olilife products, and there's two of them, the Cell Essentials Wand and the P90. And the P90 is my new all-time favorite. Uh, it's a foot device. You just plug it in, put your feet on it, turn it on, select your uh, power level one through ten and in 30 minutes you've got your uh, session completed and you'll feel gooder i'll tell you what um and the nice thing is you don't have to do anything you just sit there and relax take a take a nap read a book watch tv listen to music whatever you want to do you don't have to occupy your hands or anything Um, and you just sit there with your feet on it and it radiates throughout your entire body and people have had fantastic results with these things, uh, even better than with the wands, uh, which is really pretty cool. So I encourage you to check it out. Uh, ordering information is on the site. So basically, if you have any questions, uh, you hit the contact me button, and I'll be happy to help you out and get things going in the right direction. Also, while you're on the main site, be sure and hit the radio shows tab. And at the top of the page is a link to the archive page set up through castbox.fm. And, um, uh, there's pretty close to 1,500 uh, shows up there now. And then uh, if you scroll down just a smidge, right below the uh, cast box link is the um, the rumble button. That's right. <laughs> it took me a second. Um, yeah, the rumble button is there, and that takes you right to our rumble page. There's We've been doing everything, uh, uh, uploading everything there for replay since the beginning of October. And uh, there's quite a few videos and shows up there now. So we encourage you to uh, follow the page, uh, like the videos and that kind of thing. That will cause the uh, encourage the uh, algorithm to kick it out to more people so more folks can learn how to restore their health naturally rather than uh, engaging in witchcraft and sorcery with dangerous drugs and surgery, uh, which is definitely a better way to go. So uh, that's there. And if you scroll down a little further, you'll see the information on the shows we do when they're on and how you listen. And at the bottom of the page is the link to the Facebook page set up for the show, as well as the Telegram channel. Uh, Righty, And also, be sure and hit the links page, and there's uh, links to our uh, cell phone provider, Patriot Mobile, which uh, is the only pro-Christian cell phone provider that I'm aware of in the U.S., and uh, they uh, only support Christian uh, conservative issues, and uh, the service is good, the prices are competitive. I've been with them for several months now and have been very, very happy. Uh, all of their tech support people, and this is a really good thing, all the tech support people are, are in the U.S. They're Americans who speak English as a first language and can actually help you. Imagine that. <laughs> but uh, they're there. And then also uh, Qstreaming, which is a TV uh, service that uh, does streaming for $59.99 a month or two bucks a day. You get over 2,000 different channels not the same ones over and over again like you do on so many other platforms but 2,000 different channels including all the pay-per-view sports movies all that kind of stuff at no extra charge and uh, I've been with them since the summertime and they have finally gotten to the point where I feel comfortable in um, recommending them Uh, there there were some hiccups there for a while the system was uh a little funky there was a lot of buffering going on and uh, you get a lot of times where the system's offline or something but then uh, they they're in their third or fourth app iteration now and it appears they finally got things uh, working smoothly um and it's well worth the transition from any of the pr- platforms out there i was with uh, spectrum had g- great service great uh, you know everything was good but i was paying a couple of hundred bucks a month and uh, wasn't really getting much for it, and I'm getting all the channels I was getting before, and a whole lot more for just sixty bucks a month. And all you need is a high-speed internet connection, and you're good to go. So, I encourage you to check it out. Um, you know, if you sign up, it helps the show, and uh, you'll also save a lot of money if you're a TV watcher. And uh, check it out. Anyway, that being said. Um we've been talking a little bit about the um uh germ theory lately and I just came across a um uh video by Spacebusters this morning that um basically it's called Germs Debunk Corona and it's about what 57 minutes long and I uh, thought it would be interesting and uh, help uh, rein- uh reinforce the fact that the germ theory and I can't stress this enough. The germ theory is just that. It's an unproven theory. The idea that germs makes you, you make you sick has never, ever, 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 ever been proven. Not once has there ever been a virus isolated and purified and proven to be the cause of an illness. And they have been, been trying and trying for years to prove that... Uh, you know if you if you're by somebody that has a cold or the flu you're going to get it from them they've tried that over and over and over again and never been successful you know right down to swapping spit you know taking snot and blood and whatever from uh, sick people injecting into healthy people and they've never managed to make people sick so as the old saying goes what the 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 American Murder Association and the people that push jabs and all this other junk, they always say uh, correlation does not equate to causation. In other words, just because something's close by doesn't mean it caused your problem. And where they're talking is when someone takes a vaccine and then the next thing you know, they've got autism or they're keeling over dead or whatever. They'll always say, well, just because they got the jab doesn't mean that caused it you know even though it happens over and over and over again right now about 700 children die every week after taking childhood vaccines and that's one good thing about covid is it kept kids from going to well baby checkups and getting these jabs so there were a lot of kids that survived that may not have had it not been for covid so that's a plus i guess one of the few pluses of covid but um You know they always bring that up well you know just because they got the shot doesn't mean it caused them to die or get sick or whatever well we can say the same thing just because so and so was next to me with the flu doesn't mean i got the flu from them you know what's sauce for the goose is sauce for the gander anyway um i'm going to play this video and uh, see what you think here we go
1: all rights reserved we reserve all rights As many people are awakening to the fact that viruses are nothing more than sub-microscopic particles of dead cell debris, virus, dead cell debris, that come from cells dying either naturally from apoptosis, meaning natural programmed cell death, or cells that are dying from necrosis due to over acidity and toxicity in the blood and that virus particles are neither airborne nor contagious nor do they cause any disease or illness a fair too many people are still not understanding that all of germ theory is debunked this includes bacteria fungus and mold there are no such thing as contagious bacterial infections any more than there are contagious viruses Both are in the realm of leprechauns and unicorns. Viruses are simply dead cell debris. This is a dying cell. And these are viruses, the debris from the dying cell. And bacteria and germs are simply dead cell debris eaters. These bacteria are simply the body's janitors. Their job is to eat and remove this dying cell's viral debris and transmute that debris into fuel and energy without photosynthesis. As we've pointed out in several previous films, Dr. Fraser of Canada and Dr. Powell of California have experimented with billions of germs of all varieties. That includes all known bacterial forms but have been unable to produce a single disease by the introduction of germs into human subjects. Dr. Waite tried the same for years to prove the germ theory, but he too could not do so. Dr. Cowan is correct when he states that no one has ever caused any disease in any person or animal by introducing into them just a pure isolated bacteria or virus, ever. The germ theory of disease is the origin of the myth of contagion. It is just a theory, not a fact, and it applies to all bacteria and germs, not just virus particles made out of dead cell debris. And here is the heart of all of the confusion. Though germs themselves are neither contagious, harmful, or toxic, under certain conditions, the byproducts of a small percentage of these germs can be highly toxic and poisonous. Snakes are an excellent analogy for understanding germs and bacterium. Out of 3,000 known species of snakes, Only 600, or 20% of those species are even venomous, and only 200 species, or 7% of all snakes, carry a venom able to significantly harm or kill a human. 90% of those rare dangerous kinds of snakes live in places where humans very rarely go or encounter them, unless purposely looking for them. None of those snakes or their fangs are dangerous to humans. It is the venom byproduct that the snakes can produce that can be harmful or fatal. If you remove the poison glands from a cobra, it can bite you all at once. It will not kill you. You can even cook and eat a poisonous snake. Snakes and snake bites are not fatal or harmful. The poisonous venom byproduct or waste product of 7% of snakes injected into your bloodstream is what is harmful or fatal. Germs are no different. Your own body has trillions of them inside of you at all times, eating your viral dead cell debris and waste products. You can also eat germs, breathe them in, drink them or even in the case of scientists like Dr. Fraser, Dr. Powell and Dr. Waite, you can isolate these germs by soaking them or macerating them in a solution, pouring that solution through a nano filter to get out all other particles and debris, spin that fluid in a density gradient centrifuge machine until all of the same kind of germs are in one band together. Suck that band out with a pipette and inject that isolated germ or bacteria into a human subject and nothing will happen. Not one person has ever been made sick by doing this without adding some other poisonous chemical or tissue to the injection. Not one. Germs themselves do not cause disease just like snakes and snake bites do not cause illness or death. However, just like the snakes around two percent of different germ forms can start producing highly toxic waste byproducts when they are suddenly living in an oxygen deprived or highly acidic putrefying environment like a dead or dying organism just like the snakes that can produce highly toxic venomous byproducts it is not these germs themselves that cause illness It is ingesting or injecting the poisonous waste byproducts of their fermentation that is toxic. Snake, germ, snake venom, germ venom. In the 1800s, Rudolf Virchow introduced the idea of using microscopes for autopsies and scientists like himself The chemists Louis Pasteur and Crook found bacteria in some of the throats and saliva of dead rotting corpses of people who had died of scarlet fever and pneumonia. They came up with the germ theory of disease, postulating that these bacteria must be secreting some kind of pathogenic poisonous toxin that was killing the cells of these people and causing their deaths. The first problem is... They didn't always find these bacteria in the autopsies of people who died of scarlet fever and pneumonia. So how do you explain their deaths? That's like assuming fire is the cause of all duck deaths, because we found all of these burnt duck corpses, but can't explain why these duck corpses have no burn marks. If germs are the sole cause of scarlet fever, tuberculosis and pneumonia, then the same germs must be found in all people with these diseases, not just some of them, and they aren't. An inconvenient fact the big pharma cult hides from the general public. The second problem was, the fields of biochemistry and molecular biology were not advanced in the 1800s, and we now know that bacteria do not produce toxins, but normal enzymes like amylases, lipases, and proteases used in food and alcohol fermentation or the production of lactates that either do not appear in a healthy human being or if they do, never in such an amount as to make them dangerous. Enzymes are simply proteins that serve two functions. They can either take an advanced molecule like food or even snake venom and break them down into smaller materials that can be reused by the body or eliminated as waste or they can take smaller molecules and bind them together to make more advanced molecules that the body can use. Enzymes themselves are not poisonous or usually dangerous. But in certain cases, the breakdown byproducts like lactates and fermentation from them breaking down these complex materials can be highly toxic to the human body. If you don't believe that, go leave an egg and potato salad in the summer sun for a week and then eat it and see what happens to you. But it's not the bacteria themselves or their enzymes that will make you sick. It's the putrefied waste byproduct of the complex organic molecules that they break down that are sometimes poisonous. If you eat a turd out of your toilet, it's not the anaerobic bacteria and germs living in your turd that will make you sick. It's the turd in your turd that will make you sick. Germs are no more contagious than a turd floating in your toilet. Do you wear a surgical mask every time you go into a public toilet? Certain enzymes, like snake venom, when injected directly into your bloodstream through a snake bite, can break down your own internal organ and tissue molecules and are dangerous. But if you drink that same exact enzyme venom, your own stomach acid and enzymes break down that venom and render it harmless to you. So bacterial enzymes are not harmful to eat, only the poisonous tissue waste product of their fermentation.
2: A lot of people ask me, what's the difference between poison and venom? The difference between poison and venom is this. If venom is injected into the bloodstream, it can cause death. If venom is taken orally, it is completely harmless. Venom is actually saliva. It is modified through the gland of the snake. It is composed of enzymes and proteins. If taken orally, it is neutralized by the stomach acids and is completely harmless. If poison is injected into the bloodstream, it can cause death. If poison is taken orally, it can also cause death. And that is the difference between venom and poison. What I have here is a champagne glass for a small demonstration. What I'm going to do is extract venom and drink it. The yellow secretion you see coming through the fang is actual venom. Venom is composed of enzymes and proteins. These enzymes and proteins are naturally found in your own saliva. If taken orally, venom is completely harmless. I'm going to apply water to the venom to make it taste a little better and then swallow it.
1: If a cobra bit you, you would die before your body had the 8 to 10 weeks needed to produce the enzymes needed to break down that venom before it could deteriorate your organ tissue and kill you. This is why snake antivenom is made of serums of the blood of horses, goats, sheep, donkeys, rabbits, chickens, camels, even dogs and cats that have had minute amounts of snake venom injected into them and have created enzymes in their blood over 8 to 10 weeks that break apart that snake venom before it can break apart any bodily tissue. Now, They inject you with a possum blood serum, which already has natural enzymes in their blood that can withstand 80 rattlesnake or even coral snake bites. If a rattlesnake bit you, you'd be racing to the nearest hospital looking for animal enzymes to neutralize that poison. You wouldn't pick up the snake and make it bite you again. Yet these people talk you into doing the exact same thing to you and your children, and suddenly you're dancing around on TikTok, bragging about how little you like to use your brain for understanding important things. It was noticed since ancient times that alcoholics seemed to be immune to getting sick from large quantities of alcohol. It was falsely believed that by slowly poisoning themselves every day, they somehow built up an immunity to the toxins in the alcohol. Of course, we now know through biochemistry that in reality, just like antivenoms are manufactured, the bodies of alcoholics, expecting to be poisoned constantly, start to produce enzymes that neutralize a large portion of the toxins in the alcohol. It does not make them immune to alcohol toxins. It just lessens the dose of the poison, so they need to drink more of it to get the same poisoning that a person who rarely drinks would get from just drinking one glass. If an alcoholic who drinks two bottles of wine a day stops drinking wine for a few months, their body will stop producing those enzymes and they will fall over sick as a dog if they try to drink two bottles of wine with no enzymes to neutralize the majority of the poison. In fact, the germ fermentation waste product known as alcohol is at the root of the bogus theory about us having an immune system, antibodies or antivenoms, inoculation, vaccinations and immunization driven by the erroneous fallacy that you can somehow build up immunity to poisons and toxins by poisoning yourself. How many times have you heard yourself or others Falsely saying something like
3: this Besides, what do you think you have an immune system for? It's for killing germs But it needs practice. It needs germs to practice on When I was a little boy in New York City in the 1940s We swam in the Hudson River and it was filled with raw sewage, okay? We swam in raw sewage, you know to cool off and at that time, the big fear was polio. Thousands of kids died from polio every year. But you know something? In my neighborhood, no one ever got polio. No one ever. You know why? Because we swam in raw sewage. It strengthened our immune systems. The polio never had a prayer. We were tempered in raw shit. So... I don't get colds, I don't get flu, I don't get headaches, I don't get upset stomachs. And you know why? Because i got a good, strong immune system, and it gets a lot of practice.
1: I'm sorry, George, but our body's so-called immune system is not to get rid of germs. Germs are the integral part of the body's so-called immune system. And part of the reason you didn't get sick from swimming in raw Germs are the body's janitors, and their job is to eliminate all of the toxins and dead cell debris from the body and transmute that debris into other usable energy by the body's cells and other bacteria. These germs are not killing these strawberries or making them sick, and these strawberries did not catch these germs from the atmosphere around them. These strawberries are dead and dying already from being picked from the vine that feeds them oxygen, water and mineral nutrients and the germs are getting rid of the dead cell debris. Germs, dead cell debris eaters, you can see them clear as day coming from inside the strawberries, starting in the strawberries on the inside bottom of the pile that are getting the least light and oxygen exposure. If the bogus germ theory were correct, the outside strawberries would be exposed to contagious flying unicorn germs first, and the inside bottom ones would be the most protected and obviously the last to mold. Germs come from inside of the organism. Just like the tiny percentage of snakes that are poisonous live where humans rarely encounter them. The tiny percentage of germs that create a toxic fermentation or lactate byproduct only live in an anaerobic environment that have no oxygen, meaning they live in dead or dying oxygen starved human and animal corpses or rotting plant tissue. It is true that A tiny percent of these oxygen-deprived anaerobic bacteria can produce highly deadly toxins from fermentation as they break down dead, rotting animal and vegetable flesh. But, unless you're actively seeking these toxins out to eat and drink, as most of them taste and smell too putrid and foul to eat or drink without vomiting, unless you inject these toxins directly into your bloodstream, like vaccines do being afraid of catching the germs that created the putrefied waste is like walking around oslo norway in constant fear of an indian king cobra attacking you with vaccines, they actually do inject you with the dead or dying putrefying poisonous rotting flesh of sick cancerous monkey kidney tissue aborted fetal tissue, sick cow bovine tissue fluids like calf serum or veal infusion broth or bovine albumin fraction. Then they add poisons like the toxic phenol red or toxic antibiotics like gentamicin and amphotericin. Sometimes they add some kidney tissue destroying enzymes like trypsin that kill and break down these cells, cause anaerobic bacteria to grow and create poisonous byproducts when breaking down this dead monkey, cow and fetal tissue and dissolve the cell walls into dead cell debris called viruses. And they inject this whole poisonous soup inside of your body to protect you from catching the same bacteria and viruses that are only created by the poisoning process of rotting tissue they used to make the vaccine in the first place. You could also go inject a turd from your toilet into yourself and achieve the exact same result as any vaccine will. Not immunity to any bacteria or viral dead cell debris, but severe toxemia. There are thousands of causes of toxemia and tens of thousands of expressions of that poisoning we call symptoms or dis-ease. But germs and dead cell debris viruses are not one of those causes. People are walking around for over a year now under extreme conditions of stress, anxiety, fear, and worry, causing major acidic buildup in their body's pH chemistry, causing tremendous cellular and tissue damage, They are under lockdown and not exercising. They have insomnia from worry. They are sitting around in front of electromagnetic devices like phones and computers more than normal. They are wearing masks constantly, stopping their ability to intake oxygen and exhale poisonous gases, breathing that poisonous gas back in and causing irreparable tissue and cellular death and damage. And then when their body goes into emergency detox conditions, they get sick and say, Oh my God, it must be COVID. This is 10 times worse than any flu I've ever had. It's not COVID. You have just never poisoned yourself for a year straight before and suffered the symptoms of trying to clean out the damage of hypoxia, respiratory acidosis, embolus and blood clotting, CO2 poisoning from your mask and you should be lucky you aren't having strokes, seizures and heart attacks from doing this to yourself yet and are still able to detox without dying. On top of that, many people have injected themselves with an experimental gene therapy that is programming their own RNA to constantly produce a poisonous foreign protein flow into their body that never shuts off. Components are injected into the arm and serve as instructions for the body's own cells to make foreign microbial proteins, a synonym for antigen, a synonym for toxin or poison and their body now has to constantly produce energy to create white blood cells, enzymes and bacteria to try and neutralize and remove that constant internal poisoning. This is called an autoimmune disease and you don't need to be Sherlock Holmes to figure out the end result of this. Couple that with hypoxia, acidosis, embolus, and particulate poisoning from constant mask wearing, stress, lack of oxygen, and exercise, very few people will survive that level of constant toxemia. The body only has so much energy. So how did we get here? It can all be traced back to these two political government assets and scientific frauds, Robert Koch and Louis Pasteur, whose purposely concocted fraudulent theories and experiments are still the basis of the bogus germ theory taught in allopathic medical schools to this day. The total damage, carnage, and human deaths accumulated from these two men's deceitful lies pales Hitler, Stalin, Mao, Pott, and Leopold combined. The fraud, Robert Koch, is considered the founder of medical bacteriology, and he is credited with discovering the bacteria he called tubercle bacillus, or Mycobacterium tuberculosis, in the dead, rotting tissue and saliva of some, but not all of the subjects who had died from respiratory disease, He claimed that these bacteria must have been the cause of the disease, but never explained why they weren't found in all of the subjects then, and still aren't to this day. What people don't know is that he had developed a poisonous magic drug he called tuberculin, and claimed it could cure tuberculosis. He broke the German laws by keeping the drugs ingredients secret and was forced to flee Berlin after he poisoned and killed thousands of people with his magic drug. Thank God they didn't bring that back on the market. During this time, the British had illegally seized the Suez Canal and now had significant political, military and trade advantages over Germany being able to sail back and forth from India with their troops and goods without having to sail all the way around Africa. So Otto von Bismarck called Robert Koch back and offered him 100,000 Reichsmark to create a false argument and proof that the British were bringing back contagious anthrax, smallpox and the plague from India. To justify demanding a quarantine stopping the british ships from docking at any mediterranean ports for supplies so they wouldn't spread these completely made-up plagues to all of europe and allowing the germans to shoot at their ships at gibraltar if they tried to come through with their alleged fake contagious diseases the problem is It was already well known and scientifically proven by Koch's contemporaries that bacteria cannot produce toxins inside of a living organism or inside of an oxygen-rich aerobic environment. So Koch cheated, and he killed mice by injecting them with the toxins from dead corpses. Just like anyone can make anthrax by leaving a spoiled egg or potato salad in the summer sun for a week, Coke produced these anthrax toxins in a bovine meat broth, just like the vaccine industry does to this day, and he injected that poison into the vein of a mouse, and the mouse died. The spleen of that mouse became swollen with the toxins as it tried to clean them out of the bloodstream, and then Coke transplanted that poison-filled mouse spleen under the skin of a frog. The frog convulsed and died, and Koch claimed he had just transmitted anthrax. He did the exact same thing by transplanting a poisoned dead mouse spleen into a frog's lungs. The frog died, and then he claimed he had just proven lung anthrax is contagious and deadly. In other experiments, he was cutting open the tracheas of animals with incisions, inserting the poisonous lab-grown liquids continuously, and when the animals died, he claimed it was the germs in the fluid that killed the animals, not cutting open their throats and pumping poisonous liquids down it. He never did any control experiments by cutting open animal throats and pumping the same amount of a harmless water or saline solution down to see if the animal also died from the procedure and not the germs or toxic fluid. Which is ironic, considering to this day Koch himself is credited for stealing Friedrich Gustav Henley's postulates, now called Koch's postulates, which claim you have to run the control group experiments on the healthy animals or tissue cultures, of which Koch himself never did any such thing in any of his own experiments because Bismarck was paying him to fabricate a lie about contagious plagues for political use against British trade ships not to conduct valid scientific experiments. Koch was also one of the first to start photographing bacteria through microscopes but in order to do this he had to dye the bacteria so they would show up on his film and he received those colorant dyes from the petrochemical industry. Then, all of the other medical researchers took the same colorants, took healthy tissue, they acidified that healthy tissue, and discovered they had the same coloring reaction and grew the exact same bacteria that can be seen and photographed just as Robert Koch did. But later, they discovered that these chemical colorant dyes actually killed bacteria by making holes in them and others inhibited the DNA of the bacteria so that they can no longer reproduce and the bacteria die and return back to phage or spore form. From this, antibiotics were contrived from colorants. Ever wonder why they're filled with all of those bright, pretty colored beads? That's right. Our doctors are killing our body's janitorial bacteria that are trying to help us by cleaning toxins out of our body by poisoning our body with something so toxic it even kills bacteria, and we call this medicine. IG Farben was a powerful cartel of chemical and dye manufacturing companies like BASF, Bayer, Hocht, and later Merck, who pioneered the commercial manufacture of morphine and held a virtual monopoly on cocaine. All you have to do is look at how our elected democratic governments are all taking orders from non-elected big pharma think tanks and organizations while blatantly and shamefully peddling their experimental gene therapy quack scene, and you can easily understand the immense power this cartel has obtained since the days of Coke which brings us from Deutschland to France, and perhaps an even bigger fraud, Louis Pasteur. Pan is known symbolically as the trickster god, and also the god of panic in the nature of the human psyche. Pandemics have been scapegoats, or rather scapegoats, since ancient times, used to blame and suppress upheavals, to control starvation situations, cover-up military slaughters of innocent civilians in warfare, and to expel or quarantine political threats, troublemakers, and undesirables. You can see this same old, tired, fear-based, emotional con game being played out today on awakened people being labeled anti-vaxxers, health threats to the general society, and excluded from public participation without their quack scene passports. And the same thing was going on in Pasteur's day as well. The French were at war with Germany, and in order to garner public support, the French government hired Pasteur, just like Bismarck did with Koch, to blame the Germans for a smallpox epidemic and justify invading and killing them so it didn't spread to France, and to justify killing civilians in the process. Those
3: weapons of mass destruction gotta be somewhere. (laughs) Nope, no weapons over there. Maybe under here. <laughs>
1: Unfortunately, Pasteur already knew from the works of his contemporaries, like Claude Bernard, Antoine Bechamp, and Max von Pettenkoffer, that bacteria cannot and do not cause disease in living organisms. So he came up with the idea of a virus. There must be tiny invisible microscopic particles that cannot be seen under the microscope that are causing the disease, not the bacteria themselves, perhaps emitted by the bacteria. It's very hard to debunk a theory about something you cannot see or even identify if it exists or not. Pure evil genius. But how to prove contagion of this mythical invisible virus particle and that it causes disease? As we learn from Pasteur's private diary, finally translated and released by Princeton University in 1993, Pasteur simply cheated. In one of his experiments, he pressed the poisonous rotting flesh from a dead animal through a filter, then injected that poisonous liquid into the brain of a dog that was tied vertically onto a pole He used a third of the volume of the dog's brain for the liquid injection. The liquid comes shooting out the other side. The dog convulses, barks, foams from the mouth and dies. Pasteur claimed it was his fabricated rabies virus that killed the dog, not filling a third of its head with that poisonous fluid from a rotting animal corpse. Pasteur also claimed he had an antidote to his virus, or what we call today a vaccine. And he admits in his private journal that he was going around injecting poisons he claimed to contain viruses into animals and then injecting harmless fluids into other animals and claiming the ones that died had not had his vaccination antidote and the ones that didn't die had been vaccinated with his antidote when none of them had. There are too many to mention in this film, but this guy, this fraud, is the father of vaccination and virology. The Germans had their antibiotics and chemotherapy, and the French now had their vaccinations. But what Pasteur didn't foresee was the advancement in microscopy technology that would actually allow future scientists to see the smaller-than-bacteria-sized particles under electron microscopes naturally virologists were excited about this and started looking for these invisible particles that Pasteur claimed were causing contagious disease and illness the problem is because they are already falsely taught in their big pharma controlled allopathic medical schools that Pasteur and Koch's theories were correct and because Pasteur's diary wasn't released until over a hundred years later and because they are never taught in school to read and study the works of the people who already debunked germ theory over the last hundred and seventy years, like Bernard, Beschamp, Nassans, von Pettenkoffer, Henley, Fraser, Powell, Waite, Rosenau, and these works are mysteriously missing from their special university medical libraries for med students, they are already working under a false assumption. They are just looking for the particles, not double-checking to see if the particles actually cause disease or are somehow airborne or contagious, which they aren't and don't. You can go see our two-hour film, Virology Debunks Corona, for easy-to-understand details on virology fraud and what they actually do, but for the scope of this film, let's use an analogy. Let's say you were taught in school that it is a fact that the sky is probably theoretically actually a light purplish yellow, not blue. We'll call it the purple theory of sky. Even though there is zero proof of such a claim by using your own eyes, school said it was so, so you set out to prove it. Then you take a picture of the sky and you apply a computer colored filter to it and lo and behold, you've just proven the sky is purplish yellow that's exactly how virologists create virus particles in a petri dish by starving monkey kidney tissue of nutrients and then poisoning them with antibiotics and enzymes that kill the cells and then as the cells break down it creates the particles of dead cell debris and they say there it is pastures virus yeah there it is the sky is purplish yellow of course in real life the sky is blue, and in real life virologists never see virus particles until they starve, poison, and kill the cells. That is because viruses are dead cell debris and germs are dead cell debris eaters. The three most commonly asked questions are, what about chickenpox and chickenpox parties, and what about sexually transmitted diseases? Why is it three out of four people in our family all got sick at the same time together? How do you explain those? These are excellent questions, and this must be covered in two parts. First, the fallacy in all of these questions. And secondly, what is the method of these biological triggers if it's not caused by contagious germs and viruses? Unfortunately, the area of science pertaining to the second question is something big pharma and universities will never give research grants to properly investigate, as it will take down their multi-trillion dollar a year allopathic drug empire. Only an idiot would fund their own demise. But first, the fallacies. Correlation does not imply causation. Nobody ever asked why five or six of the twelve kids at the chicken pox party didn't break out with chicken pox or why did some of them break out weeks later or why do some only child infants break out with chickenpox when they are not exposed to anyone with those symptoms or why some of those babies mothers don't express measles or chickenpox when they themselves are either unvaccinated or haven't had any booster shots in 20 years nobody asks why it is that some sexually promiscuous people who have herpes or genital warts have unprotected sex with a dozen partners and only a few of those partners break out with their own symptoms and the other ten walk away with a smile on their face. Why don't they all catch it? Nobody asks why it is that the fourth family member is totally fine and healthy while the other three seem to get sick together. Why isn't the entire family sick in every single case? I mean, isn't that why people are standing six feet apart and wearing diapers over their faces? I think this guy knows the answer. And more importantly, why is it that some of the kids who attend a chicken pox party do break out with pox themselves shortly after? Why is it that some of the sexual partners do break out with some kind of herpes or warts after sex with a person expressing that dis-ease themselves? And why is it that three out of four family members all do seem to get sick together? Remember, there is only one disease, toxemia, either from environmental or improper food beverage intake, pharmaceutical poisons, or from lack of oxygen and high acidity in the blood due to poor diet, major mental stress, and lack of exercise and improper shallow breathing. And that's what happens in the cases of these families. And there are too many examples to list, but the families share the same environmental toxins, products, crappy acidic nutrient devoid diets and similar stress causes, often from each other. But one of the family members is doing something differently, is less stressed in their nature, eats raw uncooked foods more often, drinks bottled water, uses less toxic hygiene skin and shower products or eats foods and snacks that don't touch toxic dish detergent plate and glass residue doesn't eat sugar and chemical-filled junk food and candy or drink acidic sugar-filled beverages doesn't take pharma products isn't home as much as the others you get the idea basically they have less toxemia more alkaline pH less stress and more oxygen Many families get sick because they don't open the windows and let bad air out and fresh air in for a few hours every day during the winter because it's cold out or in the summer because they have air conditioning. Remember, the human breath exhales over 3,500 compounds, many of which are toxic, and if you don't air them out, You are living in a deadly gas chamber together like the many men who accidentally killed their wives by jokingly putting them in a Dutch oven, holding their wives under the covers and farting after eating some toxic gas-producing food like Mexican food. The nurse, Florence Nightingale, was famous for opening the windows in the hospital room where dozens of sick men were sharing cots and found that they all got better within a week to a few months. She said fresh air is the first step to good nursing and also found that it reduces stress levels as well in the patients. When you get sick, you are simply going through a natural emergency detox procedure as your body tries to heal itself and expel your toxic overload and dead cellular debris from that damage through your excretory organs by coughing, sneezing, burping, farting, vomiting runny nose, mucus expulsion, diarrhea, constant urination, and if you're really sick, your body will shake and fever to expel the toxins through your sweat glands and your skin. In cases of mild toxemia built up over time, various organisms do this on regular natural cycles, no different than the leaves falling off of trees in the fall and growing back in the spring. We call this cold and flu season. That doesn't mean that the body only does this during these cycles. You may not be toxic enough to need this, so you don't break out with the flu detox. Or you may have a riotous summer of gluttony and have to do this in the middle of the summer. You don't catch a cold, and the flu is not from contagious germs and viruses. It is the body's way of detoxifying itself from the poisons you yourself bombarded with. You can't catch somebody's flu any more than you can catch acne from a teenager or catch your grandmother's old age. That's why some people never get the flu. But why do the three family members who are toxic all get sick and start their detox at the exact same time? Well, why do the menstrual cycles of groups of women who live together and work together all suddenly change cycles and match up together perfectly. Why does one person start laughing uncontrollably on a bus and suddenly the entire bus is laughing hysterically? Is there a physical particle called laughter that is contagious? Or is there an invisible energy wave exchange triggering other people to start doing the same? Why does a negative person walk into a room and suddenly change the whole vibe of the party and completely change everyone's mood? Other areas of science, like epigenetics, are starting to find out that we are electromagnetic beings made out of crystalline living water, and that our own internal biochemistry is capable of instantly changing its own molecular chemistry and structure Not only due to what we taste, touch, smell, see, and hear, but also by our own thoughts and our own beliefs. And now, by the invisible bioelectric fields of other individuals coming into contact with our own bioelectric or morphogenetic fields through what is called bioresonance and cymatic resonance. We have known since the Cleve Baxter experiments in the 1960s that plants change each other's biological cycles and communicate in this way. And we are now learning that we are no different. We also know through Dr. Masuruamoto's experiments that spoken and written words change the actual crystalline structures of the water that makes up well over seventy percent of our bodies and can cause healing or disease. So this person is toxic and acidic and starts his detox cold or flu. He tells these people, I hope we're not all going to get sick, And since they all believe in germ theory nonsense, these two's five senses see and hear him getting sick, coughing, puking, nose running, fevering. They smell his gaseous mouth and anus shedding of toxins and bathroom residue, and his own bioelectric field interacts with their fields, coupled with their own belief in contagion and that he will make them sick, Tells their bodies it's time to start your own detoxification process, just the same as plants do, and this changes their molecular biochemistry to start this cycle prematurely, just like women's menstrual cycles sinking up. Chickenpox and measles are normally childhood growing diseases, which are basically fibrin disturbances leading to thick blood or embolus causing swelling and skin exudations or red bumps on the skin. This is from a nutritional lack of potassium chloride and iron after changing diet from the mother's potassium rich breast milk to regular foods or for infants from stress and either being poisoned by their toxic mother's milk or they aren't getting enough potassiums and irons from a malnourished mother. So it's very easy to conceive that when one of these kids bodies starts its detoxification cycle during a growth spurt to remove dead and dying childhood cell debris and hardened fibrin, his or her bioelectric field communicates with the children at the party that if their own body also has too much dead cell debris and hardened fibrin, it might be time to start his or her detox cycle as well and it appears that they have caught some kind of contagious disease. Even though the kids whose bodies are healthier or not malnourished, or who are late growers don't need to detox fibrin yet, so they don't break out with the pox. If it were contagious germs or viruses, they would all break out. The doctors and scientists obviously find the dead cell debris they call viruses in this breakdown, as well as bacteria eating the debris and fibrin and they blame those things for causing the disease. Like blaming firemen for causing fires since they are always found at the scene of a fire. The human excretory system has many organs But aside from the skin in emergency detox situations, all of the toxins in our body come out of three places, the mouth, genitalia, and anus. These are saturated with toxin residue, and these are the exact three places we find so-called sexually transmitted diseases, meaning these people have become so toxic that the skin in these areas is used to expel the excess toxic buildup. Just like chicken pox, there are always dead cell debris we call viruses and bacterial debris eaters found at these sites, and once again we falsely blame the firemen at the scene for causing the fire. This too happens in natural cycles, and they are no more contagious than a teenager's acne or Tide soap they do however generate billions of dollars a year in profit for the pharmaceutical companies selling people antibiotics and drugs that kill the janitorial bacteria and stop the body's detox process making it appear like they have cured or treated you and the contagion myth certainly helps keep the population down via the billion dollar condom industry however It does appear that some but not most or all of the sexual partners of these people do break out with their own detoxification herpes and genital warts and this too might very well be some kind of bioresonance phenomenon with the bioelectric fields communicating during sex that it is time for the other toxic person to start their own detoxification of the excretory areas. Again, since Big Pharma controls the medical industry, they will never fund any serious studies into this phenomenon, and their controlled media goes out of its way to label this as pseudoscience, as again, only an idiot would fund the takedown of their own multi-trillion dollar a year cash cow and that's why even the most prestigious of big pharma controlled allopathic medical schools will not teach our doctors and scientists about the suppressed findings of antoine bechamp and gaston Nissance, because they found out long ago that germs do not cause disease and that you cannot kill germs they observe that germs are pleomorphic meaning shape-shifters and can change from tiny little micro particle spores called somatids into thousands of different bacterial yeast and even fungal forms and even in those forms they can produce other spores called bacteriophages that bring information amino acids and nourishment to other bacteria and even cells and if you kill these different forms with acids and poisonous colorant dyes like antibiotics they just return back to somatid spores again until their environment or terrain is right for life and back they come to life again eternally. These spores are indestructible even by radiation or severe dehydration. Have you ever noticed it's only hospitals that have these superbugs or what they call hospital acquired infections? That's because hospitals are the only place that pass out poisonous bacteria killing antibiotics to everyone like their candy. They even look like candy. But bacteria are smart and pleomorphic. You might turn them back into spores from bacterial rod form with antibiotics, but they can come back bigger, meaner and hungrier by changing into larger yeast and fungal forms that now become more resistant to the antibiotics, and these are what they call superbugs. They are not supposed to be inside of you. These forms are for eating dead rotting flesh, not for eating you alive, literally. Their drugs are causing this, not nature. And because they aren't taught this in med school, they are baffled by why you get a yeast infection after taking antibiotics. You don't get a yeast infection. Their antibiotics caused your bacteria to morph into a yeast form more resistant to their poisons. You would not have them if they would just leave your bacteria alone in their normal rod shapes to do its job in helping to heal and remove your toxic or damaged tissue but they can't charge you money for going home, drinking plenty of water, getting fresh air and plenty of rest until you heal. Iatrogenic means death or injury caused by a doctor treating you exactly as they were taught in their medical training. It is the leading cause of death every year in the United States. COVID-19 does not exist and is just a rebranded name for the seasonal flu detox that people with toxemia go through every flu season, which has magically disappeared worldwide now that they renamed it. But there was a very real death spike increase in many countries that was statistically used to justify the worldwide lockdowns being used politically for furthering Agenda 21 and the Great Reset.
4: And in London, they used the the, the recovery study, was a special English uh, program. Um, They used this high dosage of uh, uh, hydroxychloroquine. And of course, doctors noticed it after a while. And then the the studies were stopped. The, The studies were all stopped in all over the world. In Brazil, they stopped the study because of very bad heart complications. That's what I have to say. This hydroxychloroquine, if you use it in this high dosage, it does heart arrhythmias and it does lethal heart arrhythmias. Right? That's why the, it is used in, in um, to if you want to kill yourself.
5: Yes, have yeah, for <laughs> euthanasia.
4: Yeah, and the question is, how could it happen? How could it happen that they take this high dosage and? The, the the leader of this study, uh, Professor Laundrie, was asked, how, how could it come that you take this high dosage? And he said, well, COVID-19 is a new disease and we have to start with something. Mm. So um, that was his answer. And um, another colleague asked him, well, but uh, okay, it's a reasonable dis- answer, but why this high dosage? Then he said, well, He looked how they had treated amoebiasis in the early days, and it was a similar, they they took a similar amount of uh, pills. And then the other doctor said, well, I never treated amoebiasis with hydroxychloroquine. We used hydroxyquinoline. I think he confused it. This man is a dangerous man. It uh, It is immediately toxic, and you get these lethal heart
1: arrhythmias beware the false prophets out there pushing their lethal pharmaceutical anti-malarial drugs in the wrong doses as the cure or prevention for something that doesn't exist and doesn't cause disease there is nothing to prevent or protect against viruses are dead cell debris and germs are symbiotic with the human body and are our body's janitors, along with our white blood cells. We have no immune system. We have germs, enzymes, and white blood cells to neutralize and clean out toxins.
0: All righty. There's a follow-up to that one. Um, Let me see if I can find it here real quick. Um, It's not a Space Busters video. It is uh, Dr. Sam Bailey. And... Oh, good grief. Hmm. Ah, this is it. Five Spectacular Fails from the Germ Theory. If I can get it to open here. This is only about 20 minutes and we'll get into some other stuff. Um, Here we go.
5: Recently we have seen some lashing out by some of those in the so-called freedom community. They claim to be awake to the COVID-19 fraud, but seem to have been caught napping on the biggest issue of all. While they rightly question the promoted, quote, science surrounding vaccines, face masks and other responses, Paradoxically, they wholeheartedly accept the virological and germ theory proclamations coming from the same institutions. Anyone claiming to be pro-freedom while promoting the pseudoscience of germ theory is helping the propagation of fake pandemics, unfounded fear and tragically distracting from what really makes us ill. Not to mention that germ theory is used as a Trojan horse for other agendas. As we have noted, germ theory is a misanoma because it should not have been given scientific theory status when it is, in fact, a refuted hypothesis. In this video we'll have a look at five of the germ fallacies that are currently doing the rounds.
1: with
6: filthy germs, aren't they, Smithers? Why, what do you mean, sir?
5: Freemasons run the country! Number one, epidemiology. Many proponents of germ theory like to introduce epidemiological statistics into their arguments, a practice that went into overdrive in the COVID-19 era. In fact, a 2020 article on a California State University website stated, The coronavirus epidemic has thrust epidemiology, the study of the incidence, distribution and control of disease in a population, to the forefront of scientific disciplines across the globe and even made temporary celebrities out of some of its practitioners. Some established celebrities became practitioners as well. Perhaps the most famous hobbyist epidemiologist was Bill Gates and his preposterous cheerleading of the COVID show. Britannica states that epidemiology is a branch of medical science that studies the distribution of disease in human populations and the factors determining that distribution, chiefly by the use of statistics. And Medical Microbiology, 4th edition, states that epidemiology is a descriptive science and includes the determination of rates, that is, the quantification of disease occurrence within a specific population. This is a crucial point. You will note that the definition does not include providing experimental evidence for causation as it is essentially concerned with describing the patterns and statistics. In the case of an alleged pathogenic germ, a hypothesis could be raised, but that would then need to be tested with scientifically controlled experimental studies. However, this is where the wheels fall off the hypothesis. The experimental evidence does not support the model. Germ proponents can now only embarrass themselves trying to claim that there are valid experiments in the literature. Blaming clusters of disease on germs has a long history of going astray. In the late 1800s, an imagined germ was being blamed for beriberi, when in fact it was due to thiamine deficiency. In the early 1900s, pellagra was also said to be an infectious disease, until it was conceded that it was a niacin deficiency. In Minamata, Japan, there was an alleged contagious disease outbreak in the 1950s that was eventually shown to be caused by mercury toxicity. In the current era, the germ theorists still cling to the belief that a cluster of people getting sick, or even just having the same test result, must equal microbial infection, even though they have no experimental evidence to back it up. 2. What about chickenpox? I've already covered this one before in my video Chicken Pox Parties, so please watch that if you haven't seen it before. In brief, many people seem to think that the condition known as chicken pox is contagious because again, clusters of disease are sometimes observed. They claim that it is so infectious that even being in the same room with a case could cause you to become the next victim. It is unclear with their theory why historically such low numbers are seen at any one time, but their excuses don't matter because we have reviewed all of the relevant scientific literature and not once has it been demonstrated that anything of this nature can be transmitted through the ear. Most of the time, no references are provided for the quote, highly infectious claims. However, if you keep scratching, the 1925 experiments of Karl Kondratitz are cited as proof of contagion when they provide nothing of the sort. He took samples of fluid from skin vesicles of chickenpox cases and then injected this foreign material directly into the skin of a group of children. 17 out of 28 children developed skin reactions in the uncontrolled and unnatural exposure experiment. Aside from the failures to demonstrate any contagious element for chickenpox, there is also the foundational problem of being unable to demonstrate anything that meets the description of a virus. Papers claiming to quote, isolate varicella zoster virus, don't actually isolate anything. They use cytopathic effects or cell culture breakdown observed in laboratory studies as their so-called evidence. Electron microscopy images, such as this one from the CDC, claim to depict variants and yet provide precisely no evidence as to the composition or biological nature of these imaged particles. And detecting genetic sequences from vesicles by using PCR for alleged virus existence tops off the pseudoscience. The selected sequences have never been shown to be viral in nature, and it is another example of virology's circular reasoning. When they can't show evidence for the hypothesized pathogen, introduce it with logical fallacies. Number three, historical stories. Sometimes when a germ promoter is on the back foot, they will resort to pulling out a historical account from Wikipedia or their public education schooling. It is a sidestepping move because shouldn't they be able to produce a foundational scientific publication for their case? And while we are talking about Wikipedia, those in the freedom community who still believe in germ theory should ask why the online encyclopedia has a special entry titled Germ Theory Denialism. It states that germ theory denialism is the pseudoscientific belief that germs do not cause infectious disease and that the germ theory of disease is wrong. It gives a single reference for this claim and it is a blog post by a Dr. Stephen Novella that provides exactly zero scientific citations. ZERO! It also states germ theory denialism is countered to over a century of experiments and practical observations. Can they cite one experiment please? And is the prevailing opinion of almost all doctors and scientists? Prevailing opinion, appeal to authority and appeal to common belief is not scientific evidence. In any case, pulling out historical accounts is often an effective tactic as these tales are somewhat known in the population, despite the fact that almost nobody bothers to look into them in detail. For example, a doctor recently declared in an article that “Those who would like to dismiss germ theory completely must first explain away Dr. John Snow’s success in ridding an area of London of cholera simply by removing the Broad Street pump handle. I will now explain away. During the Broad Street cholera outbreak in London in 1854, Snow collected data on death rates related to two water suppliers that were drawing their water from the heavily contaminated Thames River. To give you an idea of the water source in question, this is how it was described. Many cellars had cesspools underneath their floorboards, which formed from the sewers and filth seeping in from the outside. Since the cesspools were overrunning, the London government decided to dump the waste into the River Thames, contaminating the water supply. While Snow's analysis was correct in concluding that it was contaminated water making people sick, the modern era story that it was an infection from the bacterium Vibrio cholerae is not. To this day, there is no scientific evidence that the ingestion of bacteria by itself will make anyone sick. Max von Pettenkofer first demonstrated this in 1892 by swallowing a large culture of Vibrio cholerae provided by Robert Koch. Disappointingly for Koch, his rival did not succumb to cholera. I note that Wikipedia now speculates that Pettenkofer did get cholera, but it was mild as he, quote, possibly had some immunity. However, the ingestion of fecal material, decomposing biological tissue and other toxins can certainly make people sick. So, the cluster of cases had nothing to do with infection and everything to do with the common factor of drinking filthy waste-containing River Thames water. Another claim you may see is that native populations such as the Aztecs were devastated by smallpox that was supposedly introduced by Spanish conquistadors in the 16th century. Such stories are promoted by the Public Broadcasting Service, whose funders include the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. As I have covered in multiple videos, there is no evidence that any bioweapon, meaning a contagious and replicating entity, has ever been produced, including attempts around World War II. However, we are now supposed to believe that bioweapons were perfected 500 years ago in the form of smallpox blankets. Once again, stories like this are being used to support the germ hypothesis and distract From the foundational scientific failures when tested experimentally. Number four, surgical procedures. Germ theory promoters, whether intentionally or not, can employ a sleight of hand when conflating alleged microbial invasion with hygiene. In general, those of us that refute the germ hypothesis do not deny that hygiene is very important. Note that hygiene means a science of the establishment and maintenance of health and conditions or practices, as of cleanliness, conducive to health. There is nothing in that definition that requires the introduction of supposed pathogens. So when someone says, I wonder how many of those who claim there are no germs would be willing to have a surgical operation without the surgeon washing his hands or wearing gloves? I would firstly respond, that gloves are not that important and half the reason they are worn is that the surgeon wants to keep their hands clean with a perceived protection from the patient's fluids. And when it comes to benefits for the patient, what did a Cochrane systematic review of 30 trials examining surgical gloving practice find? They concluded, although the primary aim of wearing gloves during surgery is to provide protection against infections no trials set out to measure the relationship between gloves and infections in patients or staff. In other words, the glove claimants probably didn't review the scientific literature.
1: Well, I guess I just assumed.
5: Hand washing, on the other hand, is important. But again, the germ promoters confuse microbes with hygiene, as they cite the story of Ignaz Semmelweis, the doctor who noted the benefits of hand washing in obstetric clinics. They state that, If there is no germ theory, then Semmelweis was wrong, and Semmelweis cannot have been wrong because his actions in putting his theory into practice and dramatically reducing the incidence of puerperal fever in the hospital where he worked, proved that he was right. This is another one I've covered before, so let's look at a flashback from my video Health Risks of Using Your Cell Phone on the Toilet. A classic example that I am sent is the story of Ignaz Semmelweis, an obstetrician working in Vienna in the mid-1800s. By the way, this story is listed on the Wikipedia germ theory page as part of their quote, evidence for the concept. Semmelweis was alarmed by the high rates of puerperal fever when doctors, rather than midwives, got involved in the birthing process. He insisted that doctors start washing their hands between performing autopsies and examining patients, which subsequently resulted in the mortality rate of mothers dropping by 90%. Now it is clear that no controlled study was performed, and we don't know what other variables were operating between the two clinics being compared. However the most important point is that no microbes were identified as the causative factor in disease. It was and remains simply presumed to be the case. Semmelweis advised washing the hands with a bleach solution to get rid of the putrid smell following the handling of autopsy tissue. In other words it was disgusting, diseased and dead tissue, not the sort of toxic brew that a woman needs inside her. They did not reduce the brew to an independent variable such as a pure culture of a particular bacterial species. And no experiments have shown such cultures to have pathogenic abilities through normal exposure routes. The microbes present in such cases are there to manage and decompose the dead tissue and have no capacity to invade healthy tissue. For example, vaginas are permanently colonized with huge numbers of microbes including species claimed to be pathogenic. Some of them may proliferate when there is a problem with the underlying tissue or terrain, but they have never been shown to be the causative factor. If they did have such a capacity, why has this never been demonstrated? We know that pure cultures of bacteria have not been shown to be pathogenic unless they are administered to an organism in massive concentrations and via unnatural routes. Poor hygiene and other neglect is the problem, not microbes, who are simply responding as the clean-up crew to the changed terrain. Maybe epidemiologists should realise that the risk factors for so-called infectious diseases are some of the causes. Number five. Smallpox or HIV challenge. Over the years we, along with Tom Cowan, Andy Kaufman, Christine Massey and others, have been sent various challenges to be exposed to alleged pathogens. My husband Mark also caught wind of a member of his running club claiming behind his back that the Baileys wouldn't dare go near the snot of a so-called COVID-19 patient. Mark explained to the embarrassed person that we had already announced by mid-2020 that we would happily walk through a COVID ward without any protective gear on. Aerosol transmission of microbes that cause disease has never been demonstrated in the history of medical science and it is a fairy tale to scare children and naive adults like the one he confronted. Even worse when the alleged infectious particle SARS-CoV-2 cannot be shown to exist. Sometimes we see doctors getting involved in this game. An example was in September 2022, when Dr. Richard Fleming made this ridiculous video.
6: So here's my proposition. If you don't believe that viruses exist, so you can't be harmed by them, I would like to propose an experiment where we contact the FDA and CDC and obtain the vials of smallpox that exist that we know are lethal. We'll then have you arrange to be in a room and expose you to the smallpox in the vials. Since according to you, terrainers, these viruses don't exist in these vials because viruses don't exist, then you'll have no harm. If, however, you're unwilling to participate in that, well, that would indicate that you honestly believe that viruses exist.
5: Aside from the logical fallacies and conflating the refutation of the virus model with terrain theory, Dr. Fleming demonstrated his lack of insight into the foundational problems with virology. Whatever he thinks the CDC has in their alleged smallpox vials, we know it is not anything that meets the definition of a virus. The question he should be asking is, what is contained within such vials? Could it be breaking down chicken embryo tissue with antibiotics and other additives? If you have not seen Katie Sugak's documentary, The Truth About Smallpox, then I highly recommend it, as it outlines the mythology surrounding both the claims of a specific disease and the existence of a virus. Mike Stone's Virology also has excellent articles exposing these issues. A similar challenge that you might see is, well, let's see you accept some blood from an HIV infected source. Again, this is a misunderstanding of the science. Nobody has ever been shown to have any quote HIV in their blood. What they have is a positive in vitro antibody assay. There are dozens of conditions that may cause a positive assay and many of these people are not in good shape. In which case, you probably don't want their blood but not because of any imaginary virus. We covered this issue in Virusmania, and if you want to take the deepest dive, then read the Perth Group's HIV, A Virus Like No Other, which remains an uncontested refutation of the existence of a viral entity. Once after childbirth, I was advised to have a blood transfusion, but declined, as it is not a good idea to have any foreign biological material injected into your body. Probably the funniest challenge I've ever had was if you don't believe in germ theory, then let's see you eat feces! My response is, isolate the microbes from the biological waste material and in the tradition of Wait, Fraser, Powell and Pettenkoffer, swallowing those will be fine. While we're talking about eating poo, I couldn't go past this old video from Bear Grylls either.
7: This means there's definitely bears in the wood. This is the sort of poo they do. But if you had nothing else, a bit of a rinse down. And that basically is going to be okay to eat. Pretty sharp. Bit like somebody's got your apple core and smeared it in a dog poop.
5: In all seriousness though, the propagation of germ theory is a disaster for humanity. The downstream effects are filthy vaccines, population control and vast transfers of wealth from the public to the medico-pharmaceutical complex and their friends. Although health freedom advocates don't go along with these things, Unfortunately, many remain wedded to allopathic themes and still go in for pharmaceuticals and other unnecessary interventions. Perhaps worse is that they promote fear narratives and fall for bioweapon and gain-of-function gaslighting. Surely it is high time for them to analyse all the pivotal scientific papers as we have done, or will they continue to look their audience in the eye and say that the science is settled? What gives me great hope is that THEIR lashing out is likely the first cracks in the germ theory dam. It is obvious to us that the fraud is now too widely known about to be contained. My inbox is also full of messages from well-wishers letting us know that their family's health is the best it has ever been now that they have left the germ theory-based allopathic system. Let's continue to spread the good news, that microbes are not our enemies, and these unwarranted fears can be left behind. If you enjoyed this video, please visit supportdrsam.com
0: Alrighty then, interesting stuff to say the least, and um, hopefully It's strengthened your understanding that uh, germs are not the issue. It's toxins, buildup of stuff like that in your systems that cause these things. It's the seasonal purges, uh, detoxing, and not some little wee beastie that uh, they're using to scare everybody with. It's the fear factor, no matter how you slice it. And um, something we shouldn't buy into. Now, a little shift of gears, um, if I can find where it went, <laughs> here we go again, oh boy, trying to find the things, um, that's not the right one, good grief, man, <laughs> um, good heavens, good heavens, I got way too many things in my dock, as they call it. Where did that one go? Nope. Hmm. Goodness. My main news feed has flat vanished. I don't know what happened to it. Hmm. Ah, here it is. Um, there's a news item that I wanted to cover. But before I did that, I wanted to play a video by, um, uh, Minivan Jack. And I had the thing all set and it disappeared. <laughs> Good grief. I hate when that happens. Should be in one of these. Ah, there it is. Um... It's about the income tax, and let me get the sharing set up here. And his vis- his videos are relatively short. Come on. Uh, boom, 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 boom. Well, good grief. Ah, there it is too many choices
8: then there was a time when if when you were not a federal taxpayer filing income tax returns then there was a time when you were when and how did that change happen some people think it was when you got your social security number or when you got your birth certificate That is not when you became a federal taxpayer. You became a federal taxpayer when you filed your first IRS 1040 form. You volunteered to become a federal taxpayer by signing that 1040 form and sending it to the IRS. In their legal terminology, you elected to become a federal taxpayer with that form. And chances are you were tricked into thinking you had to sign the form and send it to the IRS. Employers will often tell employees that they're required to do so. That is not true. The employer may request you sign forms like the W-2 or W-4, but the law does not require you to sign any form or for anyone to force you to sign any form. The employer is only requesting that you sign the tax forms because the IRS threatens them to do so, but the employer is not legally required to force their employers to sign any form on behalf of the IRS. Requiring you to apply your signature is a violation of your rights. To have a federal income tax, they must trick the citizen into signing things. If the government is authorized to do something, they do not need your signature to do it. Usually when you sign something for the government, you are giving up some of your rights. On that first 1040 form you signed, you identified yourself as a federal taxpayer. And you sign the form under penalty of perjury, thereby declaring the form to be true and correct under your personal authority. Of course, it would be in most people's interest to not sign and send any 1040 form in the first place, because that is the moment you become a federal taxpayer, when you declared yourself to be one. That's the bad news. The good news is you did not magically become a federal taxpayer because the government said so. You voluntarily elected to be a federal taxpayer in a contract, and that means you can revoke that contract at any time as long as you pay any tax that you have agreed to pay up to the date of your revocation. That means after you pay any federal income tax you have self-assessed for any given year, and before you file the next year's 1040 form, you may revoke your election to be a federal taxpayer. You may serve notice of your revocation of election to the IRS and the U.S. Treasury. Your revocation of election, if done properly, cancels your status as a federal taxpayer by revoking your original IRS 1040 form contract agreement. The forcible seizure of your earnings would violate the 13th Amendment to our Constitution, our nation's supreme law. If you do not live in a federal jurisdiction such as Washington, D.C., If you are not a federal employee or contractor, if you did not voluntarily elect to be a federal taxpayer, then it is highly unlikely that you owe any income tax. And there is no one who can say that you do. Income tax must be voluntary. Otherwise, it is slave trade, unpaid servitude, and it is an imprisonable offense. That is why there is a clear record of your 1040 form signed by you under penalty of perjury. Without your permission, the federal government cannot seize your earnings from your labor. You cannot be forced to sign anything. No one forced you to sign your first 1040 form. That was your decision, and it can be your decision to revoke that contract if you wish. Thousands of people have done that. They are no longer federal taxpayers, and they are violating no law. If you'd like to know more about revocation of election, Contact us at feedback at freedomtaker.com. And if you know of anyone who is struggling with IRS issues, please share this video. This message is public notice and free speech protected by our nation's Constitution. Anyone who believes this message to be misinformation may within 60 days of the posting of this video, provide legal reference showing any portion of this message to be inaccurate and if we can verify that legal reference as applicable and valid, we will voluntarily remove this message. This message is for educational purposes and does not represent legal advice or service. FreedomTaker.com is solely responsible for the content of this video. The platforms which carry our messages are not the content creators of our posts and are not responsible for the contents of this message in any way and therefore have no right to label, suppress or remove our content. Anyone removing this message without our consent or without legal grounds will be subject to major monetary penalties which will apply fully and separately to all responsible parties and their organizations. Any defamatory labeling or removal of this message by the host platform or any other outside party or agency without our consent constitutes agreement to those terms. Any person representing this message as unreliable or removing this message or ordering its removal without prior notice to us and without authorization from us will thereby be agreeing to pay major additional monetary penalties for that nuisance, violation, and damage. Our nation's constitution prohibits censorship of and interference with this message.
0: Gotta love that uh, last part of that video. <laughs> I like that a lot. Anyway, um, the reason I wanted to play that is I've uh, got an article here today. The Supreme Court hears case involving IRS taxation of unrealized gains meaning you'd have to pay more taxes every time an unsold asset gains value. So if you own a house and you are living in it, you haven't sold it, but it goes up in value, they claim that they can tax that value. So here's a, here's a case before the Supreme Court right now that, depending on the direction it takes, could allow the Internal Revenue Service to begin taxing unrealized capital gains in addition to realized capital gains, Moore versus the United States technically deals with a different issue involving a couple that was taxed by the IRS for unrealized gains overseas. It could, however, end up affecting all Americans with a new precedent being set for unrealized gains taxation. This could be the biggest, biggest fiscal policy effects of any court decision in the modern era, commented Matt Gardner from the Institute on Taxation and Economic Policy. Last week, Gardner's ITEP colleague Steve Wamoff also commented that Moore versus United States could become the most important tax case of the century, warning that a broad ruling could de- uh, destab- destabilize the tax system, enrich many profitable corporations, and widen existing economic and racial inequalities. Of course, they had to throw that in. Entire sections of the tax code are un- unconstitutional, if this is unconstitutional, the <laughs> whole tax code is. Anyway, says Senator Ron Wyden, Democrat Oregon, who, along with Senator Elizabeth Warren, Democrat of Massachusetts, is seeking to impose new wealth taxes on greedy billionaires like Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk. I can't imagine the Supreme Court wants to give the wealthiest people on earth billions in tax cuts, particularly at a time when so many Americans are losing faith in the Supreme Court. (laughs) America ruled by massive taxation without representation. The case arises from Donald Trump's 2017 tax reform agenda, which included a one-time mandatory reparation tax, or MRT, on U.S. taxpayers with retained earnings from their holdings in foreign corporations. Large corporations like Apple and Microsoft bear the biggest tax load from the MRT, but so do individuals who own more than 10% of a foreign corporation. The case itself centers around Charles and Kathleen Moore, who invested in an India-based company that is non-taxable in the U.S. The Moores were charged $14,279 under the MRT, though, which prompted them to sue the U.S. government in pursuit of a refund. The Moore's argument is that the MRT is unconstitutional because income must first be realized before it can be taxed. The case is backed by right-wing legal organizations like the uh, Coke Broods, uh, Americans for Tax Reform, and the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. If the court finds the MRT unconstitutional, it could cost the U.S. government an estimated $338 billion in lost revenue. Oh, gee, well, let's just not send it to Ukraine. Further increasing annual deficits and the nation's overall debt reports common dreams. Indeed, experts estimate a sweeping ruling in the Moore's favor could cost the government trillions over the next decade. Again, depending on the direction the case takes, it could undermine the efforts of Senators Warren and Wyden to hold greedy billionaires accountable by making them pay their fair share of taxes. Suffice it to say that the issue dates back to the re- uh, original 1789 Constitution, which states that direct taxes must be apportioned among the several states. Common Dreams further reports about the case. Historically, this was a stop to slave-owning uh, states, who could count slaves as three fifths of a person when calculating how much money they could raise or could be raised from each state. In the 19th century, the Supreme Court held that income taxes were unconstitutional unless equally apportioned among each state, which was practically impossible. In response, the 16th Amendment was enacted in 1909. It was 1913, you dingling, providing the Congress may tax income from whatever source derived. The 16th Amendment did not define income or source and was not (laughs) enacted it was not ratified and uh, just like the 14th amendment and so many others uh, it was a scam but anyway um yeah the whole idea here is if you have an asset that you have not sold or gained any income from um they they claim they can tax you on it the other thing is what happens if that asset loses value are they going to give you a refund <laughs> are you going to get a tax credit yeah who knows uh, and that's why exercising your right to opt out or filing your uh, paperwork, as Roger has uh, uh, recommended, you know, will alleviate you of having to mess with that system in the first place. But um, yeah,
9: not a good. Hey idea. Jim, can I sure. log in here?
0: Yeah. Um,
9: Fox News in Detroit did a uh, a cover of. Uh, the Home Alone movie, the first one where the boy went to the store to buy groceries, and his total bill in 1990 was $19.95,
0: mm-hmm.
9: and they figured out what it would it be today, and it was $65. <laughs> so, how could they say that, say your house or your or whatever it is, they want to tax gained value when the truth is? It lost value because the more money right. something costs, the less value it has
0: exactly that would be an excellent argument um, the reason things go up in price is because the value of the dollar is dropping like a regular on a regular basis and you know we are you know inflation in itself is a tax that most people don't realize you know I was commenting yesterday. I went to the grocery store and two little bags ended up costing me 50 bucks. And I remember when I was a kid, my dad would go to the grocery store every Saturday and buy groceries for a week for six, a family of six. And he would come home and complain that it took $40 to fill up the back of our huge Chevy station wagon. You know, the old kind that had, you know, you could put a four by eight sheet of plywood back there just about, um, you know, $40 $40 bucks does not buy what 40 bucks used to. And one of the good arguments, I used to talk to my kids at school about this. I'd show them a, a $20 bill, and I'd show them a uh, St. Gaudens $20 gold piece. And I'd say, you know, this $20 bill doesn't buy what this $20 gold piece used to buy, but this $20 gold piece back in the, in the late 18, early 1900s would buy a well-made suit. Today, this same $20 gold piece will still buy a well-made suit. The difference is, back then it was twenty bucks. Today it's two thousand, and they they couldn't. It's like eh, you know, their little you could see the smoke coming out of their ears, and their little brains or the gears were turning. They just couldn't quite figure that out. But that's what's going on. The value of the dollar has dropped precipitously, which means the value of your property has not gone up; it's gone down. And you know, it would be a good argument for these people to make. You know, are we being paid in dollars then then nothing's really changed.
9: Um, yeah, it makes me question are they taxing the uh, the debt amount of something? I mean your your house is worth two hundred thousand dollars of debt.
6: Mhm.
0: Yeah, because so we're going what to the tax dollars are debt. evidence of debt.
9: By creating debt. I think uh, in my particular circumstance I think the IRS kept their hands off me because I had no debt none Mm -hmm. so they can't claim I ever agreed to be a debtor or that I had debt therefore they could create a debt out of thin air and place it upon me I think that was their, and I'm just guessing but I think that's one of the, the major hurdles they couldn't overcome is that I have no debt and if they and they can't be the ones to put me into a debt I think that's why they never came after me
0: Yeah, it's possible yeah I don't think they've come after me because I don't have any assets you know my house is in a different is somebody else's name my cars are either if they're paid off they have liens against them by my ministry which means they'd have to pay off the liens before they could steal the cars or they've got a note against them that they'd have to pay off first but I don't have, you know, when the IRS decides to go after somebody, they do an first thing they do is an asset search to find out what they can seize. And in my case, there's nothing they can find. My bank accounts don't have Social Security numbers on them. And um, at this point, they're all in, diff- in my ministry name. Um, so, you know, I haven't filed a 1040 since 1996. And they haven't gotten anything from me.
9: Um, Why did I consider these uh, sheriff sales these tax liens how do they? I, I still can't comprehend how they create you owe us a debt because we imposed a tax upon you and now we're going to take your stuff to cover the debt but yet you won't let me pay in coffee beans you want me to pay in dollars but when it comes to you taking my stuff you'll take my house Instead of a dollar and then sell it to someone else for a dollar.
0: Yeah, because this primarily public- because you're utilizing a service that you're not entitled to. When you register your property with the counter recorder, you are turning it over to them. That's not a thing that you normally have access to. And yep. if you don't register your property, if you own your house free and clear and it's not registered with the county recorder, there is no property tax. And that's how you you avoid that situation.
9: The reason people register, I guess it should just be a public notice. Um, And it could be logged into a book as a public notice. But the reason they do that is to uh, evidence ownership. So someone else just can't walk in and park their butt and
0: well, the thing is, <laughs> it's, 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 biting them in the backside now because now you have these guys that are going in and filing, you know, they'll, they'll check the records and see who owns the property, do a quick claim date on it. And basically they own the property then, even though it's fraudulent and those people are the ones that are getting kicked out and foreclosed upon, you know, if they don't have a record of the owner of the property, like my, my deed is locked in my safe. And if they show up in my house saying that so and so owns this now, I said, Prove it. Here's the last transferred deed right here. And it belongs to my ministry. So anything they have was was before the fact and it was fraudulent. And they can't take my house that way.
9: Yeah, but yeah. the courts like to, to claim that whatever's on record with the county is uh, the ruling document.
0: I say show me the law that like, says it has to be there. There is none. The banks if you have I a could, note will require it to be registered, but if you don't if you don't have a note on that property and you own it free and clear, there is nothing requiring it to be registered with the county.
9: So it becomes a uh a gun battle, I guess, for someone trying to steal it from you. Because you'll would. say, "Well, I got my." They'll would. say, "Well, that
0: was in my case."
9: That wasn't in the county records, therefore, we're going to ignore your document. But it would have a seal on it or something.
0: Mm-hmm.
9: It would have some sort of seal I from have the a seller.
0: deed from yeah. the person who transferred it, and it's yeah, dated, I, and it was the last transfer.
9: The notary. In fact, I'd get two of them. But mm-hmm. thank you for letting me,
0: hear, Jim. Hey, no problem, no problem. And uh, here's another one that's kind of interesting. New study: charging an electric vehicle is equivalent to filling up a traditional car with gasoline worth $17.33 per gallon. New study conducted by Texas Public Policy Foundation has found that the true cost of charging an electric vehicle is equivalent to filling up a traditional car with gasoline at $17.33 per gallon report titled, Overcharged Expectations Unmasking the True Cost of Electric Vehicles Show that $22 billion in government handouts to EV owners and manufacturers cover additional expenses from raw materials sourcing to battery charging. This in turn reveals that with governments, uh, government subsidies and hidden expenses, the true cost of charging EV is equivalent to thir- seventeen thirty-three per gallon of gas, far exceeding the often cited $1.21 per gallon. TPPF also points out that the 1733 per gallon estimate does not include additional subsidies from the Inflation Reduction Act. Moreover, the report claims that an average EV will end up costing $53,000 more, but ratepayers and taxpayers will keep subsidizing nearly $12,000 of the cost for the next 10 years at least. Nothing like owning a car you never uh, get to drive, right? The report claims that the federal government subsidizes EVs more than it does wind and solar electricity generation, and even more than hybrid vehicles, even though hybrids offer a more efficient way to improve fuel economy and reduce emissions. They use a much smaller battery, offer excellent driving range and performance, and don't require any upgrades to our electric infrastructure. Toyota estimated that 90 hybrid batteries can be made from the same amount of raw materials as one EV battery and that those hybrids will reduce emissions 37 times more over their lifetime than one EV, notes the report. However, hybrids receive far fewer subsidies and regulatory favors in electric vehicles as the prevailing political consensus is all EV or nothing, exactly. EV push will collapse electric grids. The report further delves into the challenges posed by the energy density of gasoline and diesel, arguing that recharging EVs requires both a significant amount of electricity and expensive infrastructure upgrades to the electrical grid. It claims that most major utilities are unable to meet the necessary capacity additions to support proposed EV mandates, leading to requests for customers to recharge during off-peak hours. report from uh, PJM Interconnection, one of the major regional electricity transmission groups in the United States, supports the claim of the study. PJM Interconnection warns that if current trends persist, the reliability of bulk electricity will deteriorate leading to an increase in rolling blackouts and other grid-related problems. The report also points out that timing mismatch between resource uh, retirements, uh, load growth, and the pace of new generation entry, essentially indicating that the push for green energy is happening at a time when overall power generation is diminishing. The report has exposed the stark reality that much of the electricity in the United States still comes from non-renewable sources such as coal and oil, which are both renewable. In short, the ambitious agenda 2030 of seeking to transition a significant portion of the energy consumption of the United States to electricity to reduce environmental impact is still far from possible. Perhaps if D.C. politicians and bureaucrats stop trying to force Americans to build and buy their preferred types of vehicles, the cleaner and brighter future that they imagine will actually materialize. Oh, boy. Now, let's see what this little video here says. We're going to
7: tell you why some states are not happy with Joe Biden's nationwide electric vehicle charging network. Coming to a highway near you, the federal government has just approved a plan to put electric car chargers on every highway in America. You want the top news every day? Hit subscribe below and turn on your notifications. The nation is facing a power crisis and our infrastructure is crumbling in some states where governors are warning residents to not use large appliances or charge their electric vehicles. Yet the Department of Transportation under Pete Buttigieg just came out with a new plan to install electric car chargers along every major highway in all 50 states. Western Journal reports that America will soon have new electric vehicle charging stations on its highways. As part of the Biden administration plan to spur widespread adoption of zero emission cars, all 50 states approved, Tuesday, a nationwide network of EV charging stations located roughly every 50 miles along interstate highways. EV charger plans from 17 states were approved by the Transportation Department, which released $1.5 billion in federal funds to all jurisdictions nationwide. The goal is to have 500,000 electric vehicle chargers nationwide by installing or upgrading chargers along 75,000 miles of highway from coast to coast, requiring $5 billion in funding over five years. This announcement comes after California restricted its residents from charging their vehicles. As we previously reported, California announced that its residents were not allowed to run major appliances or charge their electric vehicles from 4 p.m. until the morning due to increased power usage across the state. Newsom also urged residents to keep the thermostat set to 78 degrees and not run their air conditioning. Watch.
10: California and many other western states are experiencing simply unprecedented temperatures. In fact, this heat wave is on track to be both the hottest and the longest on record for the state and many parts of the west for the month of September. Californians, you've stepped up to help in a big way to keep the lights on so far, but we're heading, we're heading to the worst part of this heat wave, and the risk for outages is real, and it's immediate. These triple-digit temperatures throughout much of our state are, are leading, not surprisingly, to record demand on the energy grid everyone has to do their part to help step up for just a few more days individuals the state industries business all doing their part to help reduce strain on the grid now here's specifically what you can do in the early morning hours particularly tomorrow in the next day or so pre-cool your home run your air conditioning earlier in the day when more power is available
0: i'm going to stop it there because we're running out of time i bet you anything that turkey's uh uh thermostats are set at 68 69 or something like that and he's not complying with what he's trying to get everybody else to do and uh, one of the other things is rather interesting i've been hearing i've been haven't seen any uh, actual documentation of it but there are movements i think in florida is one of them where they're actually building charging technology into the roadways themselves so that as you drive your electric car over the road The vehicle is charging as you drive. And not to mention the fact that everybody else is driving over the road is being irradiated with EMF while they're driving as well. So there's another wonderful thing to think about. Even if you're not driving an electric car yourself and your body is being charged as you drive over the roads. So think about that. (laughs) Crazy stuff going on here. But we are out of time. I want to thank everybody for being here. Hopefully you found it educational and informative. Take care of your bodies because it's the only place you have to live. We will be back tomorrow, same bat time, same bat channel, with Mike Cal DW and our special guest, Mike's uh, attorney friend, who spent 10 years in prison because he's smarter than the courts. So uh, look forward to that. It's going to be a great show. Take care, and God bless.